Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Bring spring color inside this season with Bear Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the Bear exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Your getaway with Apple Vacations begins the moment you step on board one of our exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Escape the ordinary with packages starting at just $599. No layovers, just pure relaxation from takeoff to touchdown. Immerse yourself in the joy of travel with Apple Vacations. Your journey is as enchanting as the destination, so pack your bags and leave the rest to us. Visit AppleVacations.com or call your local travel advisor to book your vacation. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Welcome to Forward Thinking, the audio podcast where we talk about the future and the things we need to take into consideration because, of course, the future is where we will spend the rest of our lives. <laughs> I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Volkelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And future events such as these will concern you in the future. That's right. That's right. We're just going to quote Ed Wood movies for the rest of this episode. Actually, that's not true. We're going to talk about energy and electricity and waste and ways that we can be uh, smarter about generating electricity and hopefully managing the waste problem that we have while trying to create electricity. Uh, in a previous episode, we talked about fusion, which is where you fuse two light atoms together. And in the process, you release quite a bit of energy in the form of heat, which then turns water into steam. And that steam then turns steam turbines, which then connected to electrical generators creates electricity. Right. Yay. Yeah. Yay. But, right, uh, right, which which is a lot more efficient than anything that we have today, um like uh like nuclear fission. Right, right. If we can if we can get fusion to work. See, that's the mm-hmm. problem is that 
we have to make sure that the reactions themselves are giving off enough energy that it's more than what was required for us to get that reaction started in the first place. That's where we're kind of hitting the the wall right now. We don't know for sure that we can do that. So fusion is a great possibility, and I think it's it's an excellent place to do research, but – we shouldn't put all our eggs in one basket. Yes. No, don't put our, all your electro eggs in one energy basket, as I said. Right. Uh, because that could be a big problem. Think about this. I mean, imagine that e- even if we are able to uh, to get a positive energy gain factor uh, in a fusion reactor within 100 years, there's no guarantee that we'll make it that long unless we look at other – Alternate forms of – Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so fusion may not work at all, which means that we need to look into alternatives anyway. Mm-hmm. And if it does work, it may be decades. We still off. have to get there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So either way, looking into alternatives where we maximize our production of electricity, which is really what we're talking about here, and we minimize the waste, that's going to be important because we don't if we if in 100 years we get fusion but the world is not really a livable space anymore, mm-hmm. it's not going to be so pleasant for the human race anyway. So we have to look into these alternatives. Well, Jonathan, I, I like the way you put that with uh, in terms of maximizing and minimizing because I think a lot of the innovations that are going to get us into the future um, – aren't just, you know, uh, crazy new ideas that nobody's ever heard of before, you know, like a completely out of left field new technology. Sure. A lot of it is just going to be um, finding smarter, more efficient ways to do the things we already do. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Looking I mean, for energy where we can find it. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, we've got lots of examples of this in things like, you know, the, the improvement of efficiency in wind turbines and solar farms. But those have been talked about. A lot mm-hmm. ad nauseum. Yeah, and one of the one of the basic problems with creating energy is that we don't have an infinite supply of uh, of coal or oil or uranium or any of the other things that we're currently using to produce it. Right, and just in case anyone wants to write in and yell, uh, yeah, 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 creating electricity. We know oh, that <laughs> energy can either be created nor destroyed. Yes, we can only convert mass into energy, which is still not creating it. It's just a transformation. Take but, uh, it up with Einstein. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, hey, I obey the laws of physics, all right? So don't send them after me. Uh, but one of the things that Joe found out when he was uh, researching the, the this episode, I mean, Joe wrote the video episode about energy, and uh, you discovered an interesting approach to making nuclear fission reactions more efficient because that's one of the problems with nuclear fission. Right. Well, so we've had nuclear fission for years and years. Yeah. But um, there are a lot of problems with it. Uh, It creates really, really toxic nuclear waste that you have to uh, protect. You know, you got to lock it up in graphite Mm -hmm. beams and bury it underground. Yeah, under a mountain. Right. It's all all so dangerous that it's technically the, as soon as it's created, it belongs to the government. It belongs to the Department of Energy to... Right. That's exactly who I want to have uh, access to all the (laughs) most dangerous things in the world. Right. And then there are uh, and then there's the fact that we're not really getting all of the energy that we can out of these fuel rods. I mean, so what do you what do you use to cause a reaction in a fission reactor in your standard nuclear power plant? You have 
fuel rods that are full of tiny uranium pellets. Yeah, refined uranium. Yeah, yeah. It's not just highly not just, enriched. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. exactly. Um, that you use to you set off a reaction in them, and that that creates a fission reaction that releases a lot of energy, heats water, and creates your electricity. Right. Um, the problems we've said so far. Waste, um, not the most efficient reaction. Also, there's a big danger, as we learned from the the Fukushima uh, incident during the, the sure. earthquake and uh, Chernobyl as and well. And Chernobyl mm-hmm. and and uh, Three Mile Island, although right. that wasn't a meltdown, but uh, yeah. But so uh, these reactors are potentially very dangerous. You have to be extremely careful with them. Sure. Is there a way to get around this? And uh, that's where the waste annihilating molten salt reactor from Transatomic comes in. It's a cool name. Yeah, it just rolls off the tongue, as I yeah. said in in the episode. Uh, yeah, I like to call it Whamser. 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 Yeah, yeah Whamser. Waste annihilating molten salt reactor. I don't know. Then Whamser. you don't get to say annihilating and annihilating. Annihilating. <laughs> yeah. Well, I say that so frequently in my daily life. But yeah, the idea here is to try and maximize that efficiency. Mm-hmm. And in fact, Transatomic claims on their website that the conventional nuclear reactors that use fission reactions only capture about 3% of the potential fission energy in a given amount of uranium before the uranium has to be removed from the reactor or else you're in danger of uh, a meltdown. Right. Uh, Their design, again, the company claims, will capture 98% of the remaining energy that would have otherwise been lost. That's pretty wicked. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's... incredibly more efficient if that in fact yeah. is true. If you buy their claim. Yeah. Right. But it, it combines several existing technologies, right? Sure. It, um, so the waste annihilating molten salt reactor, <laughs> it, it uses this, uh, this molten salt. You might ask, what is molten salt? Well, you don't usually encounter molten salt in your day-to-day life, but. No. <laughs> um, but in this case, uh, it's, it's not, um, Molten salt doesn't, like, become the fuel or something like that. Molten salt is what this reactor uses to manage its heat. Yeah. As you are using the uranium in that initial fission reaction, Mm -hmm. you are getting nuclear waste as a result. You dissolve the nuclear waste, or rather transatomic would dissolve the nuclear waste within this molten salt, which manages the heat. Mm -hmm. And it means that... If you want to really simplify it, it means that the reactor can safely maintain the temperature it needs to continue to turn water into steam to turn those steam turbines and generate electricity. So you're, you are really extending the useful life out of that uranium. Yeah. And uh, as a result, less of the uranium is left behind. And uranium, that's the, that's the radioactive material that is so dangerous. Less mm-hmm. nuclear waste at the mm-hmm. end. Yeah, the, the, or at least less radioactive waste. I mean, however you want to define it, it's going to be less radioactive waste. And from the estimates I saw, it reduces the amount of time where this radioactive waste is dangerous from the thousands of years to around 300 years. Still longer than anyone's comfortable lifespan, obviously. Sure. But, but it's a huge difference from this, you know, it won't yeah. be safe to go near for 10,000 years. Because uh, marking that barrel is difficult. Cause. Well, it also means that if you're able to build these reactors, then it's there's the potential of taking nuclear waste that has already been generated mm-hmm. and using that as a fuel. Which there are tons and tons of just kind of lying about, really. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, I, I hope it's a it's little a scary less casual thought. than that. Yeah. I, I'm thinking about some cities I visited where I thought barrels of nuclear waste would not seem out of place. But I would like to think that they are mostly confined uh, in 
fairly secure. According to the to the documentary Duke Nukem, they uh, okay, that's fair. Yeah, the Duke, <laughs> according to Duke Nukem, they they are a tasty shake. Um, yeah, and you know, something else that I thought was interesting. This is just sort of a, an aside. Is that uh, the company has three founders? Two of them are MIT students, and the third is Russ Wilcox, who is the former CEO of E Inc. And huh. I oh. never would have thought of electronic ink and uh, nuclear fission going hand in hand. <laughs> but it's interesting because you know E Inc. is all about efficiency too. It's this of idea of you, know, you you create a state of the ink so it's displaying either a uh, a neutral side or a, a dark side to the screen, and it maintains that until you change the state of the electrostatic field, which means that you know then once you, you establish reuse. it, yeah, mm-hmm. you establish it, and it stays that way. That's why if you're using an e-reader, it's not using energy until you turn the page. Mm-hmm. So in between page turns, that's that's why those it's, batteries last forever because mm-hmm. it's not using a lot of electricity. Hmm. So in that case, that's the only thing I can think of that's similar between the two. <laughs> But so well, uh, th- this isn't a new idea, I don't think. I think that they were first proposed to power bombers, and uh, one was operated back in the 60s and 70s at uh, Oak Ridge National Labs. Yeah. So it's it's been around for a minute, but just, you know, not in a... There it, are uh, newer and better designs, I think. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, because, again, if it's one of those things where it's a, a modest increase in efficiency, it may not be worth the expense of actually... Toting around uranium. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. either designing and building a reactor or refitting existing reactors to be able to to use this sort of methodology. Um, Uh, You uh, have to demonstrate that it's of an incredible value before that becomes, you know, economically feasible. Mm -hmm. Well, and as we mentioned before, part of the value also of a molten salt reactor is that they say that it is much less vulnerable to meltdown. Right. Right, right, yeah. It it would stop the reactor. It wouldn't have the potential to explode the way that... Yeah, essentially it wouldn't have the potential for the uranium to reach a temperature that the reactor itself would be unable to contain. Right. Um, That's generally, I mean... The, the idea that I get from it. So uh, so it's it's got good potential. And, you know, it cuts down on waste. Mm-hmm. So uh, we wanted to talk about another kind of technology. That, yeah, this isn't the only technology like this, right? That right. both cuts down on waste and gets something back out of it. Yeah, so uh, so what you're, you're uh, referring to, I assume, is plasma gasification. Which also sounds really cool. Yeah, These things have great converters. names. <laughs> uh, plasma waste converters, all right, uh, you know, I, I write for HowStuffWorks.com and one of the very first articles I wrote was about how plasma waste converters work. And as a result, I got to actually go and speak with some of the thought leaders in plasma waste converters. I I got to watch footage. Uh, Actually, somewhere I have a piece of slag from a plasma waste converter uh, reaction. You might want to explain what slag is. Yeah, I will. I will. So, so, (laughs) all right. So plasma waste converters are all designed to get rid of garbage and convert it into one of two things. Anything that is non-organic, meaning it is not carbon-based, gets liquefied. All right, this liquid uh, stuff ends up being inert, so there's not anything uh, toxic about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when it cools, you know, either if you cool it by air, then it turns into this kind of rocky substance that looks like obsidian or volcanic glass, um, and that's the slag. Uh, mm-hmm. If you cool it in water, by the way, it beads up into little pebbles. And if you run compressed air through it, which I got to see a video of, and boy, was that terrifying, because it was actually a dude 
with a hose oh of compressed goodness. air standing next to a stream of molten slag. I mean, it looks like lava is oh, what sure. it looks like. Yeah. It's molten slags pouring out of a spigot, and he's blowing compressed air through it, making these these strands of of slag, which, when they cool through the air, become this sort of fluffy substance that apparently is incredibly efficient as an insulator. And it also it also floats on water, and it soaks up oil. So you could huh. even use this to help soak up oil in an oil spill if you wanted to. It's uh, what was it called? Rock wool. That's it. Wow. It's all coming back to me. It's been years since I've written this article. But um, so anyway, so this sounds great. I mean, why why don't we have these on every street corner? Well, well, before I even get there, I haven't even gotten to the really cool part yet. Well, I want to know what creates the heat that that liquefies this. Well, stuff. I haven't gotten to that yet okay. either. Okay, all right, right. Just go, Jonathan. I got to talk about the other half. Okay, I just go. said the non-organic. What about the organic? That's the question you should be asking. What We're about full the of organic? Questions. Okay, here's what happens to the organic stuff. Anything that's carbon-based gasifies, so it turns Whoa. into a gas. That's yeah. because you, the incredible amount of energy you are applying to this stuff in the form of heat, turns it almost instantaneously into gas. Now, that gas you can then put through chemical scrubbers. You have to cool it down first. You put mm-hmm. it through a cooling system so the gas, because the gas is incredibly hot when it when it first goes through the system. You cool it down, and in that process, you can actually capture some of that heat and turn water into steam and generate electricity that way. But you can also scrub it with other chemicals, removing some of the harmful elements out of it, making it inert. And the rest of what you have left is a synthetic gas that can be used as fuel. So those are your two outcomes, is huh. gas that can be used as fuel and inert slag cool stuff. So what makes this heat is a plasma torch. Mm. And so plasma is an ionized gas. It's a Mm -hmm. gas with free-roaming ions. So uh, that means electrons are also free-roaming in this gas. It burns at an incredible temperature. We're talking like surface of the sun or hotter. At 10,000 degrees, something like that? Something like that, yeah. And and at that temperature, you're breaking those chemical bonds, and that's what's current, making everything either melt or gasify, again, depending upon what it's made out of. So you have to provide energy to the plasma torch so it will maintain this plasma field, this very hot field. Uh, and that's what, you know, that's what makes this thing go. You use, you use the cooling system around the reactor, which again can capture off that heat and use that to help generate electricity. And assuming you have enough carbon material in the garbage that you're processing, you can create enough synthetic gas to act as fuel to run the whole system. And even potentially, if you have enough of it, sell electricity back to the grid. So you would mm. actually be generating electricity by not really burning, but processing garbage. Mm-hmm. It also has a couple of other phases. You usually would um, have a phase where you try to retrieve any metal before going through the system. So, because you know, metal you could actually recycle into other stuff, and mm-hmm. otherwise it's just going to melt down. Mm-hmm. Um, so you would try and have to sort the garbage first, and you usually grind the stuff up. You've got some heavy grinders that grind everything up into little pieces before it gets exposed to the the plasma torch because. Then you, uh, you've really cut down on all that surface area and make it a lot easier to process it. And, uh, the reason why they aren't everywhere, Lauren, to get to your question, mm-hmm. now that I've answered Joe's question <laughs> about how it does this, uh, is because it's, it would be very expensive to build these things, alright? So building a plant is expensive. You could co-locate it at a dump essentially, like any place where there's a landfill. Yeah. You could put it at the landfill. I mean, there it is right there next to its fuel source. And in fact, most of the, the figures I saw was that once you get to a certain size of a facility for a plasma waste converter plant, 
uh, you would be able to not only take in all the garbage uh, that was coming in from a community, but in fact start to mine any existing landfills. <laughs> so in other words, you would take care of the garbage problem and remove the landfills eventually. Over several decades worth of time, the landfills would get smaller and smaller until you had reclaimed them, and then the plasma waste facility would just take in incoming garbage. Uh, and it wouldn't produce as much energy at that point, obviously, because mm-hmm. you know part of its fuel supply is gone. But in a way, that's a good problem to have because it's taken away this environmental concern that we have. Right, right. So, and in addition to this usable gas that you get from it that you can burn, the slag is also useful, right? Yeah, you, you can, can you can use it as aggregate. You can yeah. use it in building materials. Right. Uh, you can use it to freak out your coworkers if you like. I had a, like I said, I had a, a small sample of this. Inside a, a plastic box, and uh, one of our former coworkers, his name's John Fuller. Uh, he sat next to me uh, at in our cubicles, and I had this little, you know, clear plastic box that had this piece of what looked like volcanic rock in it. And he picked it up one day, and he was looking at the box, and I said, "Yeah, it's slag from a from a plasma waste converter. I got it when I was interviewing the guy who thought this idea up." He says, "Oh, that's so cool!" And he pops the top of it off and puts the rock in his hand. I'm like, oh, oh no! It's like, what? I'm like, oh no! I got to make some calls. I'm like, oh no! And he started freaking out. I'm like, no, I'm just kidding you. Um, but yeah, for a while there, he thought that he had accidentally unleashed the zombie plague. Yeah, poor John Fuller. Yeah, he opened we the Hellraiser John. box. The- John has moved on to bigger and better things, where hopefully his coworkers don't make him think that he's created the zombie apocalypse. Uh, that was, I just couldn't resist. The other thing I should mention is that plasma waste converters are not the solution to all of our energy problems. They could help offset energy production, right. but, but well, they that, wouldn't be producing enough electricity to replace things like, you know, fossil fuels or right, solar right. plants or anything like that. It just would help. Of course not, but uh, the point I think we're making here is that every little bit actually yes. does help. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, um, and it also ends up impacting another unrelated in, problem. Yeah, right? the environmental issues yeah. of, yeah, yeah some, some of the detractors uh, of it have said that, well, what if what if we have these everywhere and then nobody recycles? And I, I think that that's kind of missing the scope of the right. point. Right, uh, <laughs> if nobody recycles, but they're, the recycling thing, yeah, that's a weird argument. I can't yeah. imagine why you would make that. Like, I'm not sure. I guess maybe oh, people I, in Portland. Uh, well, no, I, I don't know the economics oh, of it. There may be a reason why recycling is important. Like, if you want to, obviously, if you're converting all these different things to just slag and gas, um, there may be materials that we want to keep in quantity. If, if, if sure. There are, if there are, recycling would be important for any material that requires a great deal of energy for us to access or convert into whatever it is we use. So, for example, um, glass, not a problem. Glass is made out of sand. We have sand. Sand and heat. And that's easy to do. So glass, actually, I've heard lots of arguments saying that recycling glass actually doesn't make that much sense because the amount of energy needed to recycle the glass is greater than it would be to create new glass. So the better thing to do with glass is not just use it and throw it away, but to reuse. Right. Because we hear about reuse and recycle. This mm-hmm. would be a case for reusing. But things like plastics, that's different. You know, you, you or uh, aluminum would be different too. So, but again, the the facility would re, would separate some stuff out uh, right. already. So I, you know, it's it probably would not remove the necessity for recycling completely, but it would reduce the uh, the importance of it. But 
we don't have them, so it's kind of a moot point. I mean, there's only a few facilities like this that exist in the world. They do exist. There, it's not like this is just in theory. There are mm-hmm. actual plasma waste converters out there. There's just only a few of them. You know, one of the funny things that happens when you start thinking about energy um, and efficiency is you can look around the world and you can just see that energy is wasted everywhere. And sure. I'm not talking about just leaving the lights on, the kinds of ways that we normally think about wasting energy. I'm talking about uh, what happens to the energy, the uh, impact energy, when you put your foot down on the floor Right, and you take a step. Yeah, you're you know or you're not you're when not you press the keys on your computer. You know, right? You're not doing any useful work there. Mm-hmm. Like you're not like things that things that are actually an expense of energy aren't being recaptured in any meaningful way. And uh, and it, so what if you could find a way to capture that energy so that all these little things we do throughout the day, but everyone pretty much does them. Mm-hmm. How, what if we could recapture that energy and put it to you know, some other use, like creating electricity. Right. As people have already thought of doing this kind of thing in cars, right, when you have, like, regenerative braking. Sure. Oil. So mm-hmm. the, the brakes used to just – it was just wasted energy. When yeah, you, just friction and yeah. heat. And that's mm-hmm. all you, – you would lose all that energy. Yeah, just going out the window. But if you have regenerative braking, the car manufacturers figured out, oh, well, we can actually reclaim some of that energy and use it for something. Right, which means that you extend the battery life of an electric car, for example. Right. So it's not that it's not that you're recapturing all the energy that you just used. You can't do that. You're losing some no matter what. Right. Because Ent- entropy holds. Yeah, but-, but you can at least extend the battery life that way by having regenerative braking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what if we could do that with ourselves? Like what if we could uh, end up doing it where either we have something that's like Lining the floors or even in our shoes that could capture this energy. And you found something that was kind of interesting uh, uh, that all has to do with a, a virus. Yeah. Um, there's a phenomenon, piezo or piezoelectricity. Yeah, I call it piezoelectric and everyone else calls it piezoelectric. I call it piezo. But, but you know what? But Jonathan's I, smarter than me, so. No, I, I, no, I call I, it pi, piezo. <laughs> I'm just pie, I think pie electric. I think this could really catch one. on. Yes. Electric pie does sound delicious and yeah. uh, and zappy. So, uh, but but anyway, I I probably pronounce it incorrectly, but I'm stubborn and I shall continue to do so. Well, well go for it. Whatever it really is, piezoelectric uh, energy comes from pressure, right? right. So uh, anytime you apply pressure to something, there is some kind of uh, energy transfer going on there. And uh, what if we can harness that energy? Well, it turns out there are ways to do this. Uh, in fact, uh, I think, you know, just like scales and well, stuff well, like that use this. And, and you know, if you look at a, a timepiece that uses a quartz crystal, yeah. that's piezoelectric or piezoelectric. Right. It's, it's a material that when you compress it, it emits you know, electricity, exactly. essentially. Or if you induce electricity, if you give it electricity, it then vibrates. Right. So it's that relationship there. Right. It's a, it's a relationship between... Mechanical stress and electricity. Yes. Exactly. Very good. Thank yeah, you, Lauren. Exactly. Um, for, for making my stumbling actually sound smart. So uh, you can imagine that, oh... If we could put these generators just everywhere that there's wasted friction, you know, if you put them on stairs or on the the soles of your feet or something like this, could you reclaim over time um, the energy costs that it would cost to create them? Right. And could you you even get a a surplus? And so say I want to put piezo or piezo or piezo electric fields on the bottom of my shoes, walk around all day and charge my iPod. Right. 
Well, it turns out that you might be able to do something like that. Now, but part of the problem is um, creating these things. We haven't reached peak efficiency yet. Right. So at this point, in a lot of cases, it would probably cost more to create one of these and it wouldn't put off enough electricity. But we're getting better. Also, uh, they tend to involve uh, materials that you don't want to put into consumer electronics. Right. Um, like lead and stuff like that. Yeah, things yeah, that are toxic. Generally, yeah, yeah, not good. But uh, the lab that uh, we were looking at figured out a way that you could create a small ocean of viruses. Right. Viruses that don't affect humans. They're bacteriophage viruses. So mm-hmm. they, they attack bacteri- bacteria, not people. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they, they wouldn't be harmful to you. They, they're the kind of viruses that eat the bacteria that's all over the sidewalk, you know, and everywhere. M13 um, specifically is the uh, uh, bacteriophage designation. Oh, wow. M13, yeah. that's I remember that now. It sounds like a British Secret Service kind it of. Does, or, it does, it does. Oh, uh, <laughs> it's way behind M5. <laughs> But yeah, so anyway, you can use viruses to generate electricity. They found out you can you can make a little ocean of these, and when you slap it, they put off electric current. So you connect that, or you coat uh, an electrode in exactly. this stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. and every time you apply pressure compression to that electrode, then a little bit of electricity passes through it, and accumulatively, this starts to matter. So mm-hmm. I mean, if right? You... Yeah, it's when when you push it once. I think I, I was reading up on it, and uh, it only produces maybe a quarter of the voltage of a AAA battery. Um, right. Which doesn't sound a lot until you consider the fact that that you just you just made viruses into energy. Right, and if you're if you're doing lots of steps, if you're walking a lot and you have these in your shoes, then obviously you're going to generate more electricity. Or if you have this as part of a heavily trafficked area, then you could harness electricity. I mean, you could even, in theory, create a, a highway system in the future that would use something along these lines. That could, through the amount of, of pressure being applied to it when cars are passing over, start to reclaim some of that energy. Yeah, if you yeah. could paint this film onto a street, then. Exactly, yeah. We don't know where it would be efficient in the future to use things like this. And in fact, we don't even know for sure if we can get there, but it's really cool to try. Yeah. Um, the, the nice thing about discovering things like this is that even if ultimately it turns out that your initial discovery is not applicable in any meaningful way. You can learn other things during that process that end up informing other processes. So you make other things more efficient. Even if your initial approach ends up being a bust, you may find other things that help you out in ways that you had not intended when you started out, which is why I love science. I love the idea. And I don't think of science as having, you'll you'll hear about a scientific uh, uh, study where you're thinking like, what's the practical application of this study? Oh yeah, pure science versus technology. and, And really, yeah. And I think that's the wrong question to ask because if we only concentrate on things that we thought were going to have a practical outcome, we would be so far behind where we are today. Oh, yeah. Today's pure science is tomorrow's technology. That's I right. I mean, it's there ridiculous. Who That's would have thought thinking there, Joe. Who would have thought <laughs> that quantum mechanics would ever have a technological application? You know, a uh, hundred years ago when people were talking about what these strange quantum states. Um, but now we're talking about quantum computers and quantum encryption. And- yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely some emerging technology today that came out of pure science from 100 years ago. And maybe in another 100 or 200 years, we'll be saying the same thing about something like string theory, where yeah. right now we don't even call that a science. We almost call it a philosophy because there's right. no way to <laughs> test it or yeah, observe exactly. it. Uh, but who knows? Maybe maybe in a 100 or 200 years, that will be the genesis of something that really changes the world, like 
the Genesis Project, which is <laughs> documented in Star Trek II Wrath of Khan. All right. Well, let's wrap this up. <laughs> this was a good discussion about uh, – and, and you know, these were just three examples of some of the ways yeah, people have a, found A million ways, other things like this. Yeah, yeah. To, to maximize that electricity uh, generation while minimizing waste. And, and it's really cool application of – ingenuity and and technology i really think that this is pretty amazing stuff if you guys have suggestions for future topics for us to cover i highly recommend you go to our website it's fwthinking.com there you can watch the video series you can listen to this podcast you can read the blogs and you can also connect with us on our various social platforms like facebook twitter and google plus and we will talk to you again really soon For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-Fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's Unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk Extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. All-inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals at Ryu Hotels and Resorts in Mexico, the Caribbean, and Central America. And enjoy a selection of exclusive non-stop vacation flights. Turn on easy mode at applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Visit applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.